0: Between Jesus and the religious leaders. The first confrontation occurred um, really in the temple immediately after Jesus cleansed it. He drove out the money changers, he drove out those who were buying and selling in the temple. And when he did, the religious leaders, let it be said, didn't like it, not one bit. And so they approached Jesus and they wanted to know by whose authority it was that he was doing these things. Now, what's interesting is remember that Jesus has done some amazing things all the way through the Mark Book of Mark. Would you agree? He's caused the blind to see, the lame to walk, he's raised the dead. Truly amazing stuff. He's also taught some pretty amazing things. He he's taught in a way that the people have never heard before. They were truly amazed. But what the Bible says that the people were most amazed about was not simply what he did and what he taught, but how he did them with the authority in which he had done, done them. That, that's what they just couldn't get over. Now remember, the purpose for these confrontations is at least on the part of the religious leaders. They weren't coming to Jesus trying to seek information or trying to get true questions answered. They were coming for the purpose of tricking Jesus and trapping him. They were coming because they wanted to ask him a question that was so difficult that he would lose no matter how he would ultimately answer the question. He would either lose his following of the people, his popularity among the people, or he would lose his life at the hands of the Roman people. Either way, they wanted to ask him something in which he could not win. Now, what we find here is this, is is. is He speaks of authority there, but he's also going to speak about authority in the passage that's before us this morning. This morning, we're going to be looking at the authority of government and the authority of God and how those two things are related and interlinked and who has more authority and why and how do we work this whole thing out. As I was working through the scriptures, you know, I'm always amazed that if you just work through verse by verse and chapter by chapter and book by book through the word of God, eventually you're going to cover everything. And today is one of those things. I don't really like to talk about politics a whole lot and country and different things like that. It seems like people are always on edge. Are you with me? All right, and uh, and it seems like I I don't know what to say to anybody. And some of you will come, and you'll you'll kind of you know talk about your feeling about government, or or this congressman, or a president, and that's never changes. Whatever president's in office, somebody's got a problem with whatever that kind of thing. And oftentimes, I just don't say much. And the reason I just don't say much is because. I just don't want to get involved, okay, right? Just don't want to tick somebody off on something that has to be political when, for me, there's things that are far more important than that. But what we find as we go through the scriptures is government is important. And and God is important, and those two things relate somehow. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to work through the scriptures, going to kind of explain, give you the context, give you the background, and then we're going to get to a statement of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, then I'm going to unpack that with four specific applications that I think are accurate to the text. Fair enough? Sound good? All right, let's begin as we always do in the Word of God in chapter 12 in verse 13. It begins, Mark writes, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians, To trap him in his talk. Now, the fact that Mark would record that these two groups of people, the Pharisees and the Herodians, were coming together to be unified for anything is truly amazing. It's truly mind blowing because these two groups, for lack of a better word, did not like each other. They hated each other. They had nothing in common. They were blue states, red states, right wing, left wing, right? This was, and I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of an understanding here, the Pharisees, they were right-wing conservatives. They were nationalists. They didn't believe in mixing with the nation of Rome and the ways of Rome. They were purists. They were about the commoner, the common people. Uh, They only cared about the nation and the health of the nation of Israel. They cared nothing of Rome, wanted nothing to do with Rome, and resented Rome for how they had treated the Hebrew nation. And so the Herodians were completely different. They were left-wing liberal, if you will. They didn't want to get away from the government. They wanted to accommodate the government. Their kind of motto would have been this, if you can't beat them, join them. He says, listen, uh, uh, Israel, your best way of survival and prosperity is for you to join and to embrace the way of the Romans, not to try to uh, object to it, not try to be apart from it, but to take it on and be a part of ascribe to it. So the Herodians and the Pharisees were clearly two different sides of the aisle, okay? Two different sides of the aisle. They can't get anything done. They can't agree upon anything. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds kind of like our government, the left can't get along with the right, right can't get along with the left, can't agree on anything, and and, and here's where we are, except they do agree on one thing, and they find at least one thing to be able to unite on, and that is their hatred for the person of Jesus Christ. Now, there are some really powerful binding agents in this world, and one of the greatest, most powerful binding agents is love. Would you agree? Love. Loves what brings us together. I think that was Captain Antonio, I think. all right, And so uh, loves what brings us together. And it's what makes really great relationships, close-knit relationships. The greater the love, the closer the relationship. A husband and wife, unlike any other love really in the world, except for our love for God and his love towards us. Really a love between their parents and their children. Why are they so close-knit relationships? Because of what? Love, because of their love. It's, it's why we're here at Celebration. Did you know that? Did you know what unites us to, together is not because we all dress alike or we all have the pastor's hairdo. It's not that we all drive the same thing or live in the same type of house or have the same, live in the so, same socio, socioeconomic climate or uh, we, don't, we don't have the same education. We, we, don't, we don't like the same football teams, agreed. We, we don't like any of those things. But what brings us together is love. It's the love that we have for God and the love that we have for each other. So seemingly people with vast differences can come together and be unified in love. love. But hatred is also a very powerful bonding agent. It's very powerful. There can be people who have absolutely nothing in common that can come together and they don't even like each other. In fact, they hate each other. But if they can find something else that they hate all the more, They'll come right together, they'll work together, and they will do some things that are indescribably wicked because of their hatred. Well, here's an example of that, this alliance here with these Pharisees and these Herodians. They come, and they have wickedness on their mind. The Bible says that they're going to do what? To seek to trap him in his words. The word trap in the Greek there literally means a violent pursuit after Jesus. Up to this point, look, they've always been after Jesus. But up to this point, they've been far more reserved, far more civilized, if you will. But now the gloves are off. Now they've had it. Now they want him arrested and they want him dead. So they come to him and they ask him a question. Verse 14, note it, follow along if, if, if you will. It says, and they came and they said to him, teacher, we know that you are true, And do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Now, all this sounds so nice, does it not? I mean, your enemies, you know how that is. You know the people who dislike you, yes, right? Uh, And they, they come to you, they dislike you, and they try to kind of soften you up a little bit. You know, you're really a great guy and really wonderful. This is what they're doing with Jesus. They're trying to disarm Jesus. They're trying to sit there and trying to manipulate Jesus just a little bit by saying, hey, you're an awesome guy. We know that you teach truth about God, but they don't mean any of it. None of it. They don't believe that his teaching is the way of God or that he teaches the way of God. But what's interesting is, even though they don't mean any of it, they really prophesied the truth. Jesus Christ is not someone who is swayed by man. In other words, he's not swayed by popular opinion." Uh, 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 elected officials might be, but God is not. Jesus is not. He's only interested in one thing, and that is the will of God. I came not to do my own will, but do the will of the Father who sent me. You and I, who cares about popular opinion? What we care about is the will of the Father, the will of Jesus Christ. Okay, you guys with me? And so Jesus not swayed by men, but it's also true that he did that he, he did he did uh, he did not pay attention to to uh, who. They were, In other words, he didn't judge somebody by their cover, not a book by their cover. He didn't look to the outside and say, well, this person holds this position and he's from this side of the tracks. He just looked and he looked directly at the heart. So what they're saying of Jesus is absolutely true. And they come to him and then they're going to ask him a question and they're going to try to trick him. In that latter part of verse 14, it says, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them? Or should we not? You know, probably about five or six years ago, 10 years ago, I may have preached this and not really seen the significance. I see the significance of this question more than ever before, don't you? And so we read it and they ask this question. Now, it appears to be a perfect trap question because what they're asking is either yes or no. Is it right to pay taxes or is it not right to pay taxes? Should we or should we not, yes or no? And the reason that it's such a perfect trap is because no matter how he answers yes or no, he's going to get himself in trouble. If he says, yes, we ought to pay taxes, then when he says that, what he's going to do is the commoners are going to turn against him because they were against the tax. If he says, no, we should not, then guess what? The Roman government is going to turn against him and he is going to be arrested and he is going to be killed. Either way, Jesus is probably going to lead to his arrest. So it seems like the perfect question, but Here's the key, Jesus is not fooled by outward appearances. You guys got that, right? You do understand we can come and we can look all nice on the outside and maybe even shave. You've seen me during the week, I don't do a whole lot of that during the week, but I shave for you because I look about 20 years older when I don't, and so I shave and just look nice and look nice and try to, whatever, but the truth of the matter is you can fix yourself up and you can say all kinds of nice things, but Jesus looks straight to the heart, and Jesus is not going to be fooled. Listen, the creation cannot fool the creator. You got that? You cannot outwit, outlast, outplay, or whatever the that, that, that terminology is. You can't do that when it comes to an all-knowing God. And so what does Jesus do? He comes and he says, but knowing their hypocrisy, verse 15, he said to them, why put me to the test? He says, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And so they brought one to him. Now what is this, Denarius? It's just a small silver coin. weighs about three ounces, very small, um, not real substantial, if you will. but on one side there was the image of Caesar. And abbreviated there below that picture of Caesar were the words "Tiberius Caesar," "Son of the divine Augustus Augustus." In other words, understand that they viewed as the Caesars as being God. So he was the son of God, Augustus, all right, Caesar Augustus. So this is, this is Tiberius Caesar who, whose picture is on here. You flip it over, and on the other side would be written Pontifex Maximus, which means the chief priest. So he's the chief priest, and he's the son of God is how he's, he's pictured on this. So you can understand why it is that the Pharisees are having problem with this whole coin and this whole tax thing, right? Because it was this denarius that was used. It was equivalent to one day's work, and it was this particular coin. It had to be paid with this coin that people would pay once a year. It would be their tax to the government, part of a tax to the government that if you were a, an adult, male or female, you had to pay just because you lived. Just because you lived, you had to pay it, and so you can see why they don't like this because to them, it has, it's, it's anti-God. It's blasphemy is what it ultimately is. And so here it is in this thing, and, and here's what Jesus says. Now, now look at verse 16, and they brought one, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Then in verse 17, and Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So here it is. They want to trick Jesus. They're going to ask him a hard question. There's no hard questions for God. Jesus answers it in such a way that it blows their mind. Now, this statement, you guys are familiar with the statement, right? It's one of the most famous statements that Jesus has ever uttered that, that people know. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar, under God's what is God's. A lot of times people quote it and they don't even know really where it came from. It's been that popular. But it really has set the course for how we understand the authority of government and the authority of God and how those things relate for the life of the Christian. So what we're going to do is we're going to unpack the, that statement. It's one short statement, but I think it's full of meaning and application. So let me be very careful with this. Listen, some of what I say you're not going to like, but, but what, what difference is there from one week to the next, right? And so there, 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 there's really no difference. There's nothing political that I'm trying to share with you. I'm not blue or red, okay? That's that's not my intention. If you know me, that's just not my intention. My intention is for you to understand as a believer in Jesus Christ, how we ought to respond and what our responsibilities are to government and God and how those work together. So two things, two different areas. First thing we wanna talk about is this the Christian's earthly allegiance to government. And there are two points that I wanna make here. First of all, number one, we, as Christians, are to submit to the authority of the government, whether good or bad. All right, see, I told you, some of you are just not going to like it from, from the get-go. I'm telling you what Jesus is saying. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, unto God's what is God's. We are to submit to the authority of government, whether good or bad. When Jesus asks for the coin, and he says, what, whose likeness is on this subscription? And it's Caesar's, Tiberius Caesar's on there. The reason that he does that is because in the first century, it was believed that if somebody's image was on something, whether it was a building, whether it was a, a vase, whether it was a cup, whether it was a coin, whatever it was on, the person who bore that image owned that particular possession, that particular item. So because his face was on the coin, he was the rightful owner of that coin. You got that? And so he says, whose is it? And he says, therefore, what he's suggesting is there are certain rights that the government has that has been given to them by God that you and I need to ultimately submit to. This is true in the teaching of Jesus, but it's also true in the teaching of Paul. Paul taught it, he affirmed it, and he also expounded on it in Romans chapter 13. Let me kind of read just a little bit. This is from Romans chapter 13 and verse 1 and 2. Paul writes this. Let every person, here's the submission part, be subject to the governing authorities. What authorities? The governing authorities. That's the politicians. That's the government. That's Congress. That's the Supreme Court. It's the President of the United States. Let them submit themselves to the governing authorities. Now, he's going to tell you why. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, some of you got to remember this from from back when, when we were talking about who were we supposed to elect and all that kind of stuff, didn't tell you a name, just told you what the Bible says about that and how we're to vote. And we had said that, that government is from God. God created government. That's where it came from. And its purpose is to defend the weak, okay, all right, so that they're not taken advantage of and to be able to really Uh, uh, punish those who are wicked and to encourage that which is right. Got that? Encourage what is right, punish that which is wicked in order to be able to sustain and to be able to hold back wickedness. Okay, that's what their job is. God placed government there for that. Now, what he says here is he says there is no authority except for God. That means that everybody who is ruling, no matter who's in the White House, when they're in the White House, it is from God. Is an act of God. There is no rule. God can, and he does, raise up rulers either to bless a nation or he can raise up a ruler to discipline or even judge a nation that is his sovereign right. But if they're in a particular position, it is because it is according to God's sovereign will. So therefore, because God is of government and because God is the one who is placed that particular purpose, that person in that place for his purposes that means to then disobey that leader means to disobey God. To obey that leader means to please God. You you guys with that? And so this is is what he's teaching here. He even goes on, he says, therefore whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who will resist will incur a judgment. So Here's the, here's the truth. Most of us would all agree with this, right? Yes, okay, we're supposed to submit to the governing authorities, no, no, no problem. Where we have a problem is when we believe that the government is no longer good. When the, no, when the government is no longer good, that's when we begin to have a problem. In other words, I kind of said this, I kind of wrote this down kind of in my study. I said, we have no problem with authority until the authority no longer submits to us. You with me on that? We have no problem with authority as long as the authority submits to us. I've been in churches, my previous church, not this one, thank goodness, but the church, previous church, they said, we want a leader. We want leadership. I said, okay, I'll give you leadership. And they said, not that leadership. We want to submit to leadership, but we just want this, the leadership that we want. And as long as what we want, then we can. So sometimes you have people in a government and it's kind of taken over by maybe a particular party that you might like. And you said, this is my government, but then there might be another party across the aisle that might be elected and you sit back and go, well, this is not my party. I'm not so sure that the submitting to this is really what I ultimately wanna be a part of. Are, are you guys feeling this at all, okay? I thought this, you guys are all politicky, so I figured that this might, might, might you know grip you in some way or the other. And so listen, let me just say this. No matter how much you dislike or how bad you think your government is, no matter how bad you think a president might be, and listen, I'm talking neutrally uh, over, over the course of history, okay? I mean, people like Carter, people didn't like Carter. People like Reagan, people don't like Reagan. I'm just talking neutral. It doesn't matter who's there, no matter how bad you think it is, no matter how bad you think that Congress is, no matter how bad you think the Supreme Court is, they are nowhere close to as bad as it was in Rome in the first century. That's what I want you to understand. When Jesus was making this statement, he was dealing with a supreme ruler who claimed he wasn't suffering from a God complex. He believed he was God. And he even claimed and required there to be emperor worship to himself. Later on, they will punish those that fail to be able to bend a knee towards him. Yet Jesus says here, now let's be careful, Jesus says, submit to the authorities whether good. Or whether bad, it doesn't matter. Submit to them. Now, does that mean that there is a limit to that? Yes, we're going to get that to the end. Just, just relax. Because here's what I want you to do. Immediately, I know in your minds, your very bright and brilliant minds, you're thinking, yeah, but what? But what? Let's quit with the but what. You need to be able to be gripped by the truth of God's word. That God has called this to submit to governing authorities first before we can ever deal with the buts. You got that? I can't say that without kind of giggling a little bit. I guess I'm like in seventh grade. All right. So we'll deal with the buts later, all right, or the howevers later. And so so here's where we are. And so we struggle with this. Now, let's look at things that we disagree with uh, 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 on, or that we may have trouble with and we don't want to do and participate in. And I think we see out of this context something that we can all identify with. There's these things called taxes, and that's what the issue is. Should we Or should we not pay taxes? I'm trying to give you an application here that you can understand how we work this out. And and I'll tell you, as a kid, you never work about taxes, right? Never worry about taxes. When you grow up, all of a sudden, taxes are an issue, right? And it seems like there's so much talk about tax all the time, and especially now. Because what we're seeing is, we're seeing this thing going, well, let's raise taxes so that we can take this money and we can redistribute wealth to other people. Oh, see, I got some of y'all now. Some of y'all, all of a sudden, man, you just... You just, man, you just got fired up all of a sudden, right? Yes, to, re- to take from those who have some and then give it to Now, listen, the reason we get so upset about this and we thought, how in the world, how can the world get any worse is because you're not history students. History students, are governments have always redistributed wealth. They always, always go back. It doesn't matter. They're always taking from some and they're always giving to another, And as bad as you might feel like it is today, I want you to understand how bad it was then. Today, they're taking from the haves, giving to the have-nots. Back in the time when Jesus is saying this, they're taking from the have-nots, and they're giving to the haves. Do you see this? But yet Jesus Christ is still saying, submit and pay your taxes. If they do it, they have the right under God for you to, to, to give these things to God. He says, you don't like paying taxes? Tough. Pay your taxes. Paul will go on and he says, for because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. You got that? And so here's what we could do. Let me, let me explain this very carefully. Does that mean we cannot speak out? Or speak our opinions? Absolutely not. Of course we can. But there's a way in which we do that. There's a time for us to cry out, and there's a time for us to cry out even louder. What really impacts me and really gets under my nerves is how loud people are about speaking about the government taking their money, but how little the Christian community speaks about the government killing babies. It's mind-boggling to me How on a day-to-day basis, look, take my money, save the baby. Okay, You, you, you got that? So we need to make sure that we understand what it is that we're speaking out about. Is it okay to sit there and go, man, I hate that all these taxes are ultimately being taken. I think it's okay. But this is what we really ought to do. We submit to it, but the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verses 1 through 2, it says, for, for first of all, then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Here's what he's ultimately saying. He said, the bigger thing than you to be able to complain and bellyache is for you to pray for those who are in leadership position. Pray for them. Pray for them. Speak out? Yes. You know the best way to speak out is to vote. It amazes me how many Christians will sit there and go, "I don't like the way things are going. I don't like any of the vote. dude, you better vote. That's stewardship. God gave you one vote. You better make that. Make sure that that ultimately counts. Are, are, are you with me? OK? And so we understand this, but the idea there is to, even when we speak out, though, let me just say this: we must have honor for the position. We cannot sound like a bunch of lost people flying around off the thing, saying all kinds of nasty things about whoever it is. We must have and show an aspect of honor to whoever it is who holds these positions. Why? Because God ultimately placed them there. For what purpose? God's sovereign purposes to be done. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see, and that's this. Allegiance to God and country are not mutually exclusive. Exclusive. Allegiance to God and country are not mutually exclusive. Now, this is the problem that the Herodians and the Pharisees had. They were kind of either all about God or all about country. They figured if you were committed to one, you couldn't be kind of committed to others. And and that's how Christians feel uh, sometimes. Sometimes they get a little bit confused. They feel like, well, if, if I'm too much about my country, then, then I can't really be about God. I just need to be completely about God. Let me just assure you, just very quickly, that you can be a true born-again, blood-washed Christian, very serious about the things of God, and be a great patriot, patriot and be patriotic and love your country. You can wave a flag, wear dress up in red, white, and blue. You can celebrate Fourth of July, you can shoot off fireworks if they're legal in the state of Florida and not outside my window. All right, You can can do these things. It's okay to be able to be both, but sometimes it's really hard to be able to navigate through this. Now, we don't have this so much here, but I think we do in other places. Some people begin to jettison the whole, uh, I'm a citizen of the United States because I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so what they do is they eliminate anything, any kind of connection or allegiance to the government, thinking that somehow Jehovah's Witnesses are kind of like this, but, but not that they're Christian, but anyway, but you understand that, that we can't have any allegiance there because we have to have allegiance to God alone. Well, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, listen, there's allegiance that needs to go to the government, but then there's allegiance that needs to go to God. It's not an either or, it's a both and, but they have to be in the appropriate balance. Let me tell you what we struggle with more here, I believe, in the South than anything. It's not so much eliminating the, 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 the love for government, it's eliminating or lowering the love of God for the love of government. Let me give you kind of an example. Former church, I can, I can say this, and, and if you guys fire me, I'll, I'll talk bad about you too. And um, so... Former church, you know, young pastor, first time I'm pastoring, you know, and I don't know what I'm doing. Still, all these years later, still don't know what I'm doing. And so I'm up, and, and, and so after a service, it was after a 4th of July service, had a guy come up to me. His name is Mac. Um, and Mac goes, We got to talk, and we got to talk now. And there was his wife, Bond, crying. And I'm sitting there going, Man, what in the world is going on? What did I say? What did I do? Thought we had a good Sunday. And that's what you get for thinking. And so we, 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 we move over, and he goes, Listen, He goes, if we have one more patriotic Sunday where you don't honor my service to this country, we're going to have problems. I said, what? This is completely blown away. I'm like, what are we talking about? He said, we've already had two patriotic services, and you did not mention me or my service or the service of anybody there. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, we had Memorial Day. I said, yeah, but isn't Memorial Day for those who died in service? I didn't think that we were supposed to be commemorating you. I thought we were supposed to be commemorating those who were dead. Yes, you're spiritually dead now. I didn't say that. I said, no, is it, you, you, for, for those who died. Then we kind of got to the 4th of July. See, pastors are, 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 are sinful too. We have to fight against that. So, so 4th of July comes, right? Which is you know kind of the birth of our country, Independence Day. So excited. He goes, then Independence Day came, and you didn't celebrate. You didn't identify. You didn't recognize me in my service. I said, but... You had nothing to do with the birth of our country. You weren't there, were you? You weren't there 200 years ago back, back then. I didn't say those things. You just think those things, right? And so, so you say that. And I said, we do have Veterans Day, though, coming up. Veterans Day, we sit there and we recognize and, man, and just sit there. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you so much for, for putting your time in and protecting our country and serving our country. And I said, that time's going to come. And he sat back and he says, I deserve to be honored at every single one of these. And that's how we felt. Now here's what's interesting about Mac. That began to explain a lot of things. Because what ultimately would happen is, whenever, and you'll see this with churches, you just watch, because you might feel it yourself. When you begin to talk about God and country, and if we were to have like a a guy, um, you know, come in here and they're all supposed to march in with the four guys and they come in and they salute and do all these other kinds of things and we sing, God bless America, and, and all of a sudden we start singing all these things, you'll start seeing tears all over the place. It's okay. I I get all giddy as well whenever you star spangled banner still get that ooh goosebumps you know they hit the high note or they try to hit it and it's a disaster but anyway and so 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 it's okay you can be patriotic but what I have seen a lot more and and this is what I saw for Mac is he was incredibly moved whenever it came to country but whenever it came to God not a blip on the screen It's amazing to me how you could talk about country and how people have died and for our freedom and people are so passionate about it. But we talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ who has given us ultimate and eternal freedom and not a blip on the radar screen. When that happens, there's something wrong there. Something wrong there. But here's what I want you to understand is that they're not mutually exclusive. You can be a great patriot. You can love your country. You can be a good citizen, but you can love God all the more. Do You see how that works? All right, so let's look at something. As he did say, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. That's that first section. Let me look at the second part, but render unto God what is God's. Two quick points here. Uh, number one, we are to respect the position of government. We are to respect government, but are not to place our faith in them, okay? We are to respect, but we're not to place our faith in them. And so, so here's what we need to understand: um, we understand that government was given to us by God for a specific reason, but government is not God. When Jesus looked at that coin, he wasn't fooled by the inscription. He didn't sit there and it didn't say, you know, uh, Caesar, you know, the son of, uh, you know, the son of Augustus, Augustus, the divine Augustus, Augustus, and go, oh. Oh, Caesar's God. Okay, I got it. Caesar's God. Flip it over and go. Oh, he's the high priest. Okay, he's the high priest. He's the one we're supposed to turn to. He's the one we're supposed to rely on. He's the one we're supposed to place our faith in. Jesus isn't fooled at all. Why? Because he's the son of God. Because he's the high priest. He's not fooled at all. Government has its place, but this is what Jesus is saying, but they are not God. So therefore, what I want you to understand is we cannot then place our faith in government as God. All right, so I'm trying to get you there. Just keep working with me. You sit there and go, well, what does that mean? There just seems to be a movement where it seems like what's gonna save us, government. Isn't it? Isn't it kind of that feel? What's gonna save us, government. If even the people that may disagree with a government or a government official, whatever it is, they still think the answer to the country turning around is another politician. Really? How does that work out for you? And so what we do is the government now is supposed to feed us, clothe us, take care of us, do everything. If there's a problem, they're supposed to ultimately be able to solve it, that type of thing. This is what Jesus understood. Jesus understood that government, as good as it is because God created it, it's run by sinful man, and they'll always take it further than what it was supposed to meant meant to go. And what they will do is, just like Caesar, they will seek glory unto themselves. They will see people who will praise them and love them. That's why, that's why they, they, they are representatives, and you're, this is where some of you get to disagree. But if I was your representative, and I am your representative here, sometimes folks want something, and I believe it's completely contrary to the word of God, you don't get that. Does that make sense? Sometimes you have a a government official that has to get up and say, listen, I'm sorry, it's not the popular thing, but it's not right according to the word of God, and they have to hold it, not sit back and go, hey, I'm going to hold a position and have people love me and praise me, and so I'm going to go ahead and dictate what I do and how I vote according to the masses, according to the people. And so the idea here is this, and so you sit there and go, well, man, I don't put my faith in the government, then why are you always so depressed every time you listen to the news? Why do you sit back and you think to yourself all the time, is what in the world are we going to do? How in the world are we going to get out of this pickle? I don't know if I'm going to have any money to be able to retire. We'll join the gang. We'll just all be poor together. I'm telling you this. This country does not rise and fall on whoever is in office or or all the people. It's God. Turn to God. Depend on God. Government can't save you. God can save you. Are you with me? Second thing, God alone holds ultimate authority even over governments. Even over governments. See, this is where all you really intellectual people are like, well, wait a minute. Are we always supposed to listen to them? Are we always supposed to obey? Most of the time we are. But guess what? We are at some times to draw a line. We owe ultimate allegiance to God. Our allegiance to God God is absolute. We see this in the word of God where some of the great men men of God had to say no to the authorities. In Acts chapter 4, and verse 17 through 20, the religious leaders commanded Peter and John not to speak or teach anymore on the name of Jesus that day may come. Can't speak about the gospel anymore, can't share the gospel anymore. Peter and John answered this, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak what we have seen and we have heard. Government says you can't speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's crossing the line. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the deal. Somebody asked me the other day, said they, they're trying to make it so where if you speak on homosexuality, speak against it, and just, or just suggest that it's a sin. And guys, it's a sin like all the other sins that we talk about here. All sin will send you to hell. It's, it's, it's sin towards God. and one's not, more, not, one's not worse than the other. It's sin towards God. But what will happen is they're going to say, if you preach on this preacher, you're going to go to jail. Now, I'm not going to get up and all of a sudden go, okay, guys, I'm going to prove a point. I'm going to preach against homosexuality today. But because we go through the book, guess what's eventually going to happen? It's eventually going to come. And so we have to sit there and we have to preach the whole word and counsel of God. Then on that day when it's time to go to jail, we'll go to jail. I'll eat a Longhorn before I go or Five Guys or something like that. And you can give me a gift certificate before the week. I'll let you know when that time is coming. But the ultimate idea is that man is not our ultimate authority. God is our ultimate authority. We see it with Daniel. Daniel's told, you cannot pray any longer. He prays. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you must bow to false gods. They remain standing. The midwives of Egypt were told to kill the Hebrew children, or to at least let them know when the Hebrew children had been born. They ultimately refused. Government has authority over us given to them by God. To disobey them is to disobey God unless what they command is in opposition of God because God has ultimate ownership. Why does God have ultimate ownership and authority over you? Why is that? Do you remember back when we said that on that little coin was the image of Caesar? Remember that? And whenever the image is on something, the person whose image that is, they are the rightful owner of that particular item. Do you remember we talked about that? The Bible says in the book of Genesis that you were created in the image of God. The image of God was placed on you. You are God's. He has the right to do with you as he pleases. We are to be in absolute submission To him, You know, I can't help but to think that maybe some had come today and you were hoping to hear something now that we got into kind of government and things like that, now you don't want to listen to anything. But just for a moment, just listen to this. You may have come, and the truth of the matter is, is you probably have been your own God. You've probably been your own ultimate authority. But I want to let you know that God created you in his image for you to glorify God, submit to him fully, and to enjoy him for all eternity. But you only find that in submitting to his lordship. And I want to let you know that God made a way for you to be right with him through his son, Jesus Christ. He loved you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross so that the wrath of God that was meant for you would now pour down on his son. And then all that wrath towards you would be satisfied on that cross. And God demonstrated that his wrath was satisfied when he raised his son on the third day, demonstrating that there was therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But how do you get in Christ Jesus? You repent from that old way, from that old sinful way, from that old way of saying, I'm in control. And you say, God, you are God, I am not. I've sinned against you. God, I receive the free gift of eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, then we're brought in as children of God. He's our God and we are his at that point. There are some of us who are here, and let me just ask you this. If the government has the right, certain rights over your life, then what kind of rights does God have in your life? If the government is allowed to take some money as it wills from you, and God has given that the right, pay unto Caesar what is Caesar. But unto God what is God, what is it in your life that you are holding back? It might be your finances that you're holding back from the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It might be your heart, it might be your allegiance. There might be an area in your heart, in your life where there is sin and you sit there and go, man, I just don't want to give up. You know, there might be for some people, there's just resentment and hatred and unforgiveness towards somebody. You don't want to give that thing up. It's God's man. God owns your heart. What is it today that you have not given over to God because it is his? Jesus, we come to you this morning. We love you when we praise you. I pray today that we will all do business with you. Do business with God. God, I pray that you would move us and lead us. God, this was not about politics, but it was about how Christians are supposed to respond to those you have placed over us. God, I said earlier in this message, I said that we don't mind authority as long as that authority submits to us. Well, neither the government submits to us nor you are ought to submit to us. Let us submit to you first and foremost. God, I pray that today will just be one of those days that you just grip all of our hearts and we'll respond. God, lay bare the things of our heart. God, those things that are not of you, you cleanse us. But let us move in, this, move in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We're gonna sing together. Guys, this is a time, listen, this is a time for you to respond to the preaching of God's word, whatever that is. You wanna be saved? You wanna know how to be saved? I'm gonna be down here. I wanna talk with you. We wanna share with you. If you just want to come and just take time to confess where you are, even down here, or even to pray, maybe pray for whatever. Pray for country. Pray for yourself, your heart. Pray for somebody else. Be open to do that, all right? Let's begin to respond right now. Whoops. Hey, we've got a couple that's going to come and join today. Why don't you guys come up here? This is Blake and Tiffany Rowland and their little sweet baby. And uh, they're coming today. They're going to join uh, uh, today. They've gone through the new members class and we're so excited about them coming. We're actually neighbors, which is really cool. And they're still joining the church, which is which is just amazing to me. So, um, I guess we're not right by each other, so that there's a buffer there. So, uh, anyway, but we're so glad that they're coming. Um, been able to spend actually quite a bit of time with them when they first begin to come and visit and really come to love their family and love them very much. But, uh, you who are members, if you want to embrace them and, and have them come into the fellowship of this church at celebration, would you say amen? Amen. amen. All right. So, what we're going to do is in just a moment, we're going gonna... to isn't it nice when people go, oh, how sweet, and when a baby cries, and if it's your baby, you're like, no, this is not sweet. This is not, this is, this is not good. So we're going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you guys, if, if you consider this your home, just come and welcome them, and tell them thank you so much. You know, so glad to have them here at Celebration. All right, let's, let's pray. Jesus, we come to you. We love you. We thank you for today, and we thank you that all the Word of God is sufficient, and God, we thank you that we need to understand.